As many of us are confined all around the world, we wanted to provide you with a daily podcast in partnership with Radio Halara, emitting from Palestine. Our ambition for it is not to add to the saturation of information about the pandemic we are currently experiencing, but rather to propose a 15-minute extension of our political imaginaries every day. The concept is very simple. Every day we ask one person the same question. What is for you a moment of true decolonization? The answer can be a historical moment or something they witnessed, something heroic and grandiose or rather discreet and mundane, a durable blow to the structures of colonialism or a short instant of liberation. While we are recording this podcast in privileged conditions of confinement, we keep in our thoughts the multitude of people around the world who do not share similar conditions or have no choice but to risk being affected by the pandemic because of criminal policies that have to do with neoliberalism, carceralism or colonialism. We thank you for listening and wish you and your loved ones the very best wherever you are. Hi everyone, today is our 25th episode of A Moment of True Decolonization, our daily podcast on the Phenomenalist uh, during this uh, very particular time. And our guest is uh, Joao Gabriel, who, in addition of being a very dear friend, is a Guadeloupean writer, a Pan-Africanist, and a PhD student in history. He is the author of Le Bloc de Joao, uh, that, addresses, that addresses issues regarding colonialism, the African diaspora, especially in the Caribbean. Uh, he is currently working on the history of prison in relation to the French abolition of slavery in the 19th century, something that uh, we will talk about uh, a little bit more today. Um, and uh, he's also the author of two texts in uh, the Phenomenalist uh, that you'll be able to see on his contributor page if you go on it. Th- thanks a lot, Joao, for, for taking that time today to, to be part of this series. <laughs> And I believe today you will uh, you will tell us not about one moment of true decolonization, but three moments. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to listen. Thank you. Thank you, Leopold, for this invitation. And I'm really happy to join this conversation alongside great activists and thinkers. So at first, I wanted to talk about one big event in the history of Guadeloupe, the country in the Caribbean where I'm from. But not only did I had a hard time to choose which one, I also wanted to rethink what we call events, how things that happened in the past become memorable or not. So at the end, I decided to, let's say, situate this discussion between the political and the personal. And I will talk about not one, but three moments in the long fight for freedom in Guadeloupe that refer to both collective history and some very personal memories. So the first moment will be about May 1802. This is the uprising of people of African descent in Guadeloupe against the army of Napoleon Bonaparte. So this refers to the history of the first abolition of slavery in the French context that occurred in February 1794, right in the turmoil of the French Revolution and the Asian Revolution. So this so-called first abolition of slavery wasn't applied in all French colonies, but it was in Guadeloupe. And fast forward, in 1802, Napoleon sent an army led by the infamous 
General Richpens to re-establish slavery. The French troops, well prepared, still had to face a Caribbean resistance led by Ignace, a Guadeloupean man, and also by Delgrès, who was born in Martinique. So this resistance was repressed with uh, mass executions, deportation, but still, this is also an illustration of courageous acts of dignity by this Caribbean resistance. As a matter of fact, on the eastern side of the island of Guadeloupe, around Pointe-à-Pitre, Ignace, after days of fight and after being surrounded with his troops by the French army in the Fort Bembridge, he decided to kill himself on May 25th instead of being captured. Three days later, it was Delgres, this side on the western side of the island, who decided to kill himself with his troops in Matuba. So this famous history is often recalled with the famous statement, Vivre libre ou mourir, live free or die. Delgres is also famous for a statement that he wrote on May the 10th, that I'm about to read just some abstract. And this is a personal translation, so please bear with me. So this goes as follow. To the whole universe, the last cry of innocence and despair. Everything tells us that in the century of philosophy, there are still men who want to see the black man only in the shackles of slavery. Citizens of Guadeloupe, you've heard the reason which have aroused our indignation. Resistance to oppression is a natural right. Divinity itself cannot be offended that we defend our cause. It is that of justice and humanity. We will not defile it with the very shadow of crime. Yes, we are resolved to stand on a fair defensive, but we will never become the aggressors. And you, posterity, give a tear to our misfortune, and we will die satisfied. The Commandant of Bastère, Louis Delgrès. So I like this history because it forces us to rethink about what is a victory and what is a defeat. Because yes, Napoleon may seem to have won in military terms. And yes, slavery was re-established and did not disappear until 1848, so 50 years later. But can you really lose when dignity is on your side? Can you really lose when your sacrifice is a testimony across time of the ongoing resistance of people of African descent against slavery in the Americas? So, to me, this event is one of the most spectacular illustrations of the fight for freedom. But we should not forget that this fight took so many forms, and sometimes very discrete forms, and even individual forms when it was not possible to act collectively. So those discrete forms could occur in the daily lives of those resisting slavery and stayed anonymous for the most part. Whether it was running away, what we call marronage, whether it was some type of sabotage of the 
means of production and slowing the production process. Men and women of African descent in the Caribbean always resisted slavery in many forms. And so I think that when we have archives about big events, big names, like those that I just recall, we shall not forget that behind those figures, those heroic figures, you have all of the anonymous and the collective resistance that allow them to be at the forefront. Second moment, May 1967. So now this refers to the uprisings against a racist attack that occurred at the end of March 1977, sorry, 1967. And it also refers to strikes against the overall colonial exploitation in May. All of this revolt led to a massacre of the people of Guadeloupe by the French state on May 26, May 27, and May 28. To this day, the French state only talks about eight people that died. But according to local testimonies and people missing, it is believed to be many more. Some talk about approximately 80 people, other about over 100, but there is still no historiographical consensus regarding this matter. I just saw that a really dope podcast was released about this event this past Sunday by Le Moacast on Instagram, so I won't delve too much into this history about the details and the facts. Because if some of you really want to engage with this history, I really urge you to check this postcard. So check this out. But I still wanted to say a few words and mention May 1967. Because if with May 1802, it was uh, an occasion to rethink about defeat and victory... I think that the events of May 1967 is some is this time an occasion to think about collective memories, collective losses and collective traumas. Why? Because this history of May 1967 was a collective taboo in Guadeloupe. And not only in Guadeloupe at state level too. So I think that decolonization also refers to the collective healing regarding the past and the reclaiming of that past that we can then pass on to the next generation and so on. And when I'm, think, when I, when I'm talking about healing, I'm not talking about something magical that will appear from God knows where. I'm talking about the collective fight against the structure of colonialism rooted in exploitation, the need to reshape our school system, because under French rule, we learn what the Eurocentric history the French state allows us to learn. So this is why May 1967 don't appear. But one can ask, 
Why does May 1802 appear? Because when you grew up in Guadeloupe, you learned this history about May 1802. This is a well-known event, one that is officially recognized by the French state. While May, 1960, May 1967 was for a very long time a taboo, and some may say that on a state level it still is, even though in 2014, yes, 2014, the Ministry of Overseas established a commission composed of, I guess it was seven historians, that gave their final report on the events on 2016. But still, there was a lot of questions that needed to be asked, a lot of response that we still don't have, etc. But still, why some events in history become part of the national collective history and why others get erased? I cannot respond to this question properly. But I think it asks us to question the relationship of what we call history as a discipline, but also as a collective object, the relationship to history, to structure of power. So what is history? Who is an historian? And how does it work? And for example, how can colonized people can write history inside, but also outside of the university? with both a rigorous method, because I don't think that it can be done without being rigorous, but being still at the same time critical of the process of doing history itself, because it has nothing neutral. So yeah, those are questions that can be asked. And if it's true that what we learn as young children of Guadeloupe at school is an illustration of Eurocentricism. I still want to say that, especially in the 1980s, history and geography teachers really fight against what was called, for example, culturism, which is the telling of the abolition of slavery through the lens only of the official in the metropole, and especially in the person of Victor Schelcher. So, for example, in the an island close to Guadeloupe in Martinique in the 1980s, some history professors, they wrote to say that they, we need, in the Caribbean, to reclaim the history of slave resistance against slavery. And, for example, in Martinique, they asked that the event of May 22 and 23rd, yes, May 22, 23rd in 1848 became central in the history of abolition where enslaved people in Martinique revolt. So they made an uprising on those dates instead of being stuck in when did the official of the French state decided to write, to write the decree of abolition. So still, you see that Eurocentricism is at play in what we learn as history, but still, the fight is on for a long time to reclaim that history. The last example that I want to give is an easier one when we're thinking about what is history or not, because now it's going to be really personal. 
So now February 2018. So I came back to Guadeloupe after a long time of absence for so many personal reasons. And I would say that I follow a typical colonial trajectory when you leave your country to go in the West to study, to work. But in this case, this Western country is supposed to be mine. Because according to citizenship, I'm a French citizen. But in fact, when we look at the both the history that I just give a, I just gave a glimpse, and when we look at the present situation with just to name a few things, high unemployment and the overall hierarchical relationship between Guadeloupe and France, as well as the racism that people of Guadeloupe faced in France as well as in Guadeloupe in their own country, there are many reasons to consider France not as my country, but the country was ruling mine. So back to February 2018, after a long absence, I'm going back to Guadeloupe. And after, you know, every year, after um, Christmas festivity and New Year's Eve, what we call carnival starts. So it's every year the same thing. And I, will, I grew up as a Protestant in Guadeloupe. I'm not sure that's the right term in English because we say Pentecostist in French, but I'm not sure this is what white term in English. Anyway, so I grew up as, let's say, a Protestant in Guadeloupe, more precisely Pentecostist. And so this, the understanding of Pentecostist people is like carnival is a manifestation of the devil because too much people dancing, being wild in the street, being supposedly wild in the street. So, growing up in Guadeloupe, I didn't really engage with Carnival except in school because it was seen okay, not to have in the eyes of every Protestant people, but some of them. It was seen to be okay to dress, you know, to put some kiddie, kiddie costume. It was okay. But growing up, no, it was not okay to go to the Carnival. So... Going back after this long absence in Guadeloupe in February 2018, I start, I decided that now that I'm grown, now that I can move around in the island as I pleased, I decided, okay, now I'm going to go to the carnival. And this is not really the carnival that I encounter, but mostly what we call the mass. So there is a distinction between the carnival where people put costumes, really flashy costumes, like you can see in Brazil or Trinidad, and what we call the mass. Because the mass has a history of, you know, the, the mass is rooted in the preservation of African roots of people in Guadeloupe. So in the mass, you see people not with flashy and shiny costumes, but with costume made with natural natural materials of the Guadeloupean soil, with also fabrics that um, refers to the West African territories and countries. So I went to the mass and I started to see things really differently. For example, looking at the fact that we use the whip in Guadeloupe, we, I don't think that there is another place in the Caribbean where people do that. But maybe I'm mistaken. But still, in Guadeloupe, we use the whip. So we flogged the soil with the whip. And I think that this gesture, that I never understood it 
as something political while growing up in Guadeloupe with my Protestant understanding of the world and of carnival as being something bad. Now coming back in 2018, I saw a really powerful gesture in this. So we are flogging the soil that saw our ancestors being flogged and being exploited. So now we are reclaiming the power. We are reclaiming the violence. And the violence is not as a destructive force. Is the violence that gives us the dignity to say, okay, now we resist. Now we have the whip. And we can perform every year in January and February in the street of our country to say that now we are the one that have the whip. We are the one giving the lashes on the street of Guadeloupe, on the streets of Guadeloupe. So I started to see those events differently. And also I started to hear, to pay attention to the revolutionary statement that people are shouting in the mass. For example, things like la jol mauvais, nous ne pas entrer la jol. So prison is bad. We do not want to go to prison. Also things such as reclaiming Congolese roots. And I was really surprised. Like, how could I have missed that? I lived for, for more than 20 years in Guadeloupe. I was born there. I grew up there. But I missed this really dope act of collective resistance in the mass. And why do I want to mention this moment as a decolonization moment on a personal level? Because I think that February 2018 represents for me the moment where I get rid of a really Eurocentric views that I, I wasn't aware that I, that I still had regarding what was the mass. And I'm not someone who call for the rejection of Christianity. I'm not a Christian anymore, but I'm not calling for the rejection of Christianity. Because what this story tells me is not that Christianity is bad, but it tells me to look also at how people of African descent reclaim sometimes Christianity. Because a lot of people who are Christian goes to the mass. And they're doing their ritual alongside Christianity. You see also this in all of the Caribbean. So to me, instead of seeing this as a way to say, oh my God, I need to get rid of everything that I learned from Christianity. I was thinking about all of the African people's ability to reclaim, to reappropriate things that was forced and imposed onto them but that they make it so much more dope, so much more elegant, and so much more smart. So not everyone will find power in Christianity, and it's okay when you're an anti-colonial person, when you're pan-Africanist, maybe you won't find something that you need to nourish your, your mind and your political action with. It's okay, I'm not a Christian anymore. But what I want to say is that this mass that you see every January and every February on the streets of Guadeloupe testify to the resistance of the people against assimilation. So assimilation is a really strong regime 
of erasure of our African roots. But still, we are still marching in the street. We are still marching, shouting in our own Guadeloupean language with a whip now in our own end, shouting revolutionary statement against the police, against prisons, against the colonial French state. So yes, this, the history of decolonization of, in the case of Guadeloupe, still need to be written. And what will that be? Will Guadeloupe become an independent country, an autonomous country, uh, still associated to France? I absolutely cannot say. I do have my preference, but I don't think that I will speak about those preferences outside of Guadeloupe. The clock is ticking. So until I'm going back, I will still observe and learn. Once, once I'm going back, I will try to engage more directly with this question. But in any case, people of Guadeloupe will have to decide. But I'm confident that no matter what we choose, we won't lose that light. We won't lose that flame that, go back, that goes back sorry, to Ignace, to Delgrès and all of the anonymous surrounding them to those who stood up in May 1967 and to those who still march today in the mass, shouting revolutionary statement. Those who march, for example, with Akio, this famous mouvement culturel, as we call them, that was created in 1979. A group of the mass, a mouvement culturel of the mass, that face repression from the, for the, from the state. So which is an indication that it's not just a performance in the street, it's not just dancing. This is really political. So yes, decolonization, I wish that we can see it in both our collective history and our personal memories. And the fight must go on. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Joao, uh, for a fantastic mix of uh, so sort of like history with a capital H and uh, and history with a with a smaller H, uh, which is more your own uh, your own uh, personal uh, moment uh, more recently, which I think works very well with uh, with this series of podcasts where we we had uh, indeed like uh, a mix. Of, uh, of this uh, big history and uh, more personal accounts. And uh, take care uh, during this uh, very particular time while you're in Baltimore. Yes, thank you all for listening and thank you, Leopold, for this invitation. I'm really, I'm really glad that I did uh, take part of this conversation. That's all for today. Find us tomorrow again for a new episode as part of this daily podcast series. And if you're a subscriber to The Finalist, remember that you have access to every single article we published in the past in their online version on our website. Thank you very much and take care.